Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, here with Samaya Nassim, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 85, where we're talking about books around this month's theme, Marriage Stories. You can find a complete transcript and a list of all the books mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So we are recording this in the middle of March, so we are coming to you from what is hopefully peak social distancing time. Yeah. It's it's been a week, let me tell you. <laughs> yes, and you know what, Kendra, I feel like I have been preparing for this moment my entire <laughs> life as, as an introvert. This is our moment. It really is. I mean, we love to discuss how we get our groceries and food delivered all the time. Yeah, <laughs> both of us, both of us do that. Like we yes. we we order everything online already. <laughs> so I feel like I didn't even have to transition into this. Like I'm already there. <laughs> I definitely didn't. I, I I definitely didn't. As someone who works from home, we record this from two different locations, so we're not even together while recording this. So I mean, we are prepared. So we don't really have a lot of news for you because most things have been put on hold or suspended uh, during this time. We hope all of you are staying safe. I mean, it's 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 been a difficult week for a lot of people, especially authors, because, you know, so many book tours have been canceled. I mean, all of the book tours have been canceled. And that's really tough, especially for the debut authors. Yes, yes. I have been feeling so badly for them. My heart goes out to them. Um, So if you would like to share, dear listener, if you would like to share um, a book that you're very excited about, that maybe the author's book tour got canceled, definitely tag us in your stories. Uh, You can tag us at The Reading Woman, and we will be happy to repost those and hopefully spread the word a bit more. Also support your indie bookstores. A lot of them are really getting hit hard because it's hard when you can't keep your doors open to sell books and pay the rent and pay you know all your bills that are coming in so yeah and another way to support authors whose books may be coming out uh in april is you can pre-order their books and that really helps them i've also seen people create threads on twitter where they are linking all of the books that are coming out this month especially the books that they care about and really boosting that on social media which is you know an amazing help for all these authors and publishers as well So if you don't have a local indie bookstore, um, I know like a lot of places don't where I grew up, you know, still doesn't have an indie bookstore. You can go to bookshop.org and order a book from there. And then the proceeds of that go to the uh, indie bookstores that are part of that organization. A lot of indie bookstores don't have online ordering. So if you would like to order from one and you're not sure where to go, definitely head to bookshop.org. Something that's really interesting that I came across on Twitter is how there are many bookstores that actually take orders on Twitter or even uh, on the phone. I actually did not know about that. And I think it's such a great way that, you know, independent bookstores function anyway. Like there's such a community feeling when it comes to the way that these bookstores interact with readers. Definitely. I really appreciate how there's so much creativity happening uh, right now as well. I know that Old Town Books is going to be hosting some virtual classes with authors. And so to you buy a ticket to that event and you go, you have like an online virtual workshop. 
and the price of that author's book is included in the ticket price, which is a fabulous idea. I've been so impressed with the creativity of these stores. Yeah, that's almost like going to an author event. That's awesome. Exactly. But it's great for people like me who can't get out and it makes things also really accessible. I think one of the things that this crisis has taught us is that we can make work and school and situations more accessible. Definitely. That's actually what I was about to say that, you know, this has shown us that we could be doing more. We hope all of you are staying inside and staying safe and that you're with your loved ones and are um, taking care of each other out there. Yeah. And that you have a lot of books to keep you company. And if you don't, then hopefully these episodes that we're about to do will really help you with that. (laughs) We are always here to increase your TBRs. (laughs) Yes, that's that's our job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this month we're talking about marriage stories, which Samaya was one of the first themes that you picked for this year. Yeah, so we will be discussing books that feature married couples and one of us is married and it's not me. <laughs> so as a Muslim who's in her 20s, I do spend a lot of time thinking about marriage and what it means to me. So I wanted to talk about books with Kendra uh, that looked at marital relationships because I feel like it's so uh, so intense and complicated and intimate. Uh, and I'm really excited about the books that we've selected. And one of the things that I have learned... I mean, since getting married and I got married, oh, wow, I'm old. I got married seven years ago. Uh, So one of the things I've learned, though, is that all marriages look differently. And I think oftentimes before I got married and even after I got married, it was this there was this ideal marriage that I was trying to achieve in my head. But that's not how it works, because there's no marriage like yours, right? You yeah, you're married to someone and that that's a unique relationship. And that's one of the things I liked about all of these books is that each of the books that we're going to talk about today represents a unique relationship. Definitely. And just a side note, I feel like this is something that I've learned in my own life, even though I'm not not yet married. But uh, I have been looking at, you know, what I expect from marriage, what I would bring to a marriage. And one of the things that me and my Muslim friends like always talk about is how we all have this idea of what marriage is supposed to be. But as we grow older, as we learn and educate ourselves, we discover our individualities. And that kind of gives us a better idea of, you know, what we'd be interested in rather than the formula that seems to exist in society sometimes, which actually is a fantasy. <laughs> yes, Exactly. So my first pick for marriage stories is Sophia Khan is Not Obliged by Aisha Malik. This is a backlist title that was published by 27 in 2015. And I think, Kendra, you've read this book. I did. It's so wonderful. I laugh so hard. (laughs) Yeah. And it's actually one of the first books that I read that features a Muslim character who was entertaining, relatable, and kind of like not wrapped up in the usual stereotypes that we tend to see Muslim characters subjected to in fiction or even in the media, actually. So this book is written in a diary format, and that diary belongs to Sophia Khan. She is a British Muslim who lives with her family in London. She works in publishing, which is my dream job. 
Um, so her colleagues actually get intrigued about the Muslim dating scene when she tells them about her latest dating disaster. And <laughs> yeah, so, you know, like she explains to them how compared to Western dating, it's really different because it's essentially the modern Muslim version of approaching arranged marriage. It's basically when a man and a woman <laughs> date with the intention to find a partner for marriage. And that's completely different to what Western dating is, I think, because it's very casual, right? I also dated with the intent to marry, so I'm not exactly the best person <laughs> to ask about this. <laughs> I'm generalizing there, so that's why these these conversations are so important to have. Anyway, so Sophia's boss tells her to write a book about Muslim dating based on her personal experiences. As the story unfolds, we get to know more about Sophia's family life, her parents' marriage, also her sister who is engaged to be married. So we see her personal life and also the struggles that she is going through. And because this book is essentially her diary, we see the inner life of Sophia and we see the complications that come up as she tries to find a man who she is compatible with uh, being a modern Muslim woman who is kind of in between cultures because she has a South Asian heritage and she was uh, born and raised in the UK. Sophia is sure about what she wants um, and does not necessarily want to compromise in the way that previous generations were expected to. One thing that stands out about Aisha Malik's treatment of the character is that she is an imperfect Muslim and that makes her realistic because she experiences the highs and lows of faith. And I really appreciated this in the book. Um, we often see Muslim characters who are so boring because they're portrayed as either completely good, pure Muslims or sinful wrongdoers. Like there's this you know, like polar opposites. And they're really blank characters in a way. They're really basic. When this book was published in 2015, it was quite remarkable at that time to have a Muslim female character, you know, who swears sometimes, who enjoys the occasional cigarette, and who also wears the hijab. And she prays. And, you know, she's sure about her faith as a Muslim. So this book is a romantic comedy and Sophia does find someone by the end of the book and I don't think this is really a spoiler because it's a romance novel. Their story as a married couple actually extends in the second book which is The Other Half of Happiness and I feel like I'm cheating a bit because this book selection is actually two books if you'd like the complete experience of Sophia Khan's story which you know, captures the highs and lows of life and of marriage and of basically, you know, finding the right partner for yourself. And it's a it's a wild ride. I really loved it. And I think that, you know, Sophia Khan finds herself in so many different situations and also the practical life, everyday life of a Muslim woman, like finding a room to pray at work and what it's like when you have your rear end in the air and someone walks in accidentally not realizing or using the room for prayer, you know, like <laughs> just these really funny situations that just point out how her life is and the difficulties of that, but also like the triumphs of that. And it's a beautiful book. Yeah, definitely. It, it shows you like Islamophobia as it's experienced by people and, you know, just how she manages everything while also trying to find, you know, someone to settle down with and, uh, you know, someone who hopefully does not make her compromise the things that she believes in. And that's so important, especially in today's day and age, I think. 
So that was Sophia Khan is not obliged by Aisha Malik. Kendra, can you tell us about your first pick for marriage stories? Yes, so I picked a memoir for my first pick, and that is Brown, White, Black, An American Family at the Intersection of Race, Gender, Sexuality, and Religion by Nishta J. Mera. And that's out by Picador. And this book is about Nishta's uh, marriage to her wife. Now, Nishta is a Indian-American woman who uh, went to a Christian school, but her family is are practicing Hindus. And then you have also she married a white woman and then they adopted a African-American child um, who ends up being genderqueer. And so you have this very complex story of what her marriage and what her family looks like and how that's different than the norm. And I thought it was really important as we're looking at this this portrait of marriage that we look at a queer marriage and what that looks like for them. You know, Nishta is, uh, I believe she's bisexual. And so she did have a relationship with a man and how her more traditional Indian parents thought that she was cured of her problems, air quotes, and, you know, how that relationship with her parents you know, changed depending on who she was with. And when she eventually married a woman, it was, you know, a big, big deal for her family. Yeah. So that sounds like an incredible book. And you mentioned that they adopted uh, a son. So does she discuss that process of adoption and, you know, like uh, motherhood in general in this book? Because I feel like it's a very non-traditional kind of family and uh, it does you know, reflect in so many ways what a family in America is right now, you know, the different ways that that definition is changing. Definitely. And I found it really interesting because she does talk about adoption and their process of adopting and as to adoptive parents, what they wanted to do with that. Um, and just the practical things like, you know, what would their child call them? You know, would it be confusing? But then when they adopted Shiv, uh, who is black and you know they would be a you know very much a multiracial family she talks about the different reactions that people had so with her wife who is white they would always be like thanking her for adopting shiv but with her it's like you know she is indian so she could be married to a man who was black you know it could be her biological kid and just the differences of that how people treated her when they see her with uh, a child that isn't her own race or appears not to be and uh, how complicated that is on an everyday basis. Like just even going to the supermarket is complicated sometimes. Yeah. And I think that the, that kind of a, you know, family setup would reveal the biases and prejudices that people would have in general, like, you know, the preconceived notions that people come up with when they look at such a multiracial family so it sounds like an incredible book. And I'm so glad I already have a copy of this. I can't believe that I haven't read it. You know, <laughs> like it's been sitting on my shelf for a while now. Um, and what I found really interesting was how people perceive the relationship of Shiv and uh, their various adults in their life. And so you have, uh, you know, Nishta's mom. Shiv's grandmother, who only speaks Hindi to Shiv upon Nisha's request, so that Shiv will learn language because Nisha 
had to like learn it almost as a second language because her parents spoke English to her or, you know, she only spoke English and, you know, how that often happens um, when you immigrate to another country. And so I found it very interesting in how they're raising Shiv in, you know, that Hindu religion and just that experience. And I want to also note that later after the book came out that they now use uh, she, her pronouns for Shiv. So at the end of the book, it's noted that Shiv is most likely gender nonconforming or something like that, but they're not sure because Shiv is so young. And at the point that I went and I was looking up Anishcha's like website and different things on social media, they now use she, her pronouns. So um, it appears that Shiv is trans. So being a trans black girl is going to be very complicated. And so I kind of hope there's a follow-up memoir to this. Uh, so that is Brown, White, Black, An American Family at the Intersection of Race, Gender, Sexuality, and Religion by Nishta J. Mera. And Samaya, you have the next pick. Yeah, so my discussion pick is A Pure Heart by Rajya Haseeb, published by Viking in the U.S. and Scepter in the U.K. It's available in print and digital formats along with the audiobook version. So A Pure Heart is the story of two Egyptian Muslim sisters who are polar opposites in terms of their personalities and priorities. And as a result of this, they choose very different paths in life. Rose is the quote-unquote modern sister who is an Egyptologist fascinated by ancient Egypt. And this is definitely reflected in the narrative of the novel. Uh, She marries an American journalist, Mark, who has lived in the Arab world for a few years and who actually also converts to Islam for her. And they decide to move to New York. Gamila, on the other hand, is conventionally religious. She wears the hijab, um, and it's actually a decision that her family supports, but simultaneously, they cause her to feel isolated from them because they are quite non-religious as a Muslim family. So these differences in the sisters' choices in life actually cause uh, tension between them, kind of like sibling rivalry, but in a natural way, you know, because sometimes uh, siblings grow up to be different uh, and they have different expressions of the same faith. When the story begins, we find out that Camila has died in a suicide bombing and Rose is grieving for her sister's death and trying to piece together Camila's life in the final months. And she interestingly does that by excavating her sister's room and collecting some of her personal items that she takes back to New York. From the start of the story, we also know that Rose actually blames her husband, Mark, for her sister's death, and this puts a strain on their marriage. The narrative has several perspectives that go back and forth in time, Uh, and the backdrop of the family drama is the Arab Spring in Egypt. So one aspect of the story actually looks at the radicalization of a character and eventually explores how a series of events results in the bombing and Gamila's death. Basically, we get to know more about why Rose blames her husband, the journalist, uh, what role he played, and how Gamila gets entangled in all of it. Is it because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or is there something more to the story? And that really is the mystery at the heart of this beautiful novel. And going on our theme of marriage, one of the things also that's in the book is how Mark and Rose's relationship, uh, like you always wonder, are they going to stay together in the end? Is their relationship, is their marriage going to make it? And uh, the way that that 
flows back and forth and the way that the timeline jumps back and forth is so beautifully done. Yeah. And you know, that, that crisis in their marriage actually, um, shows you the different sides that exist in Rose. And I think this is actually discussed in the book at one point where she thinks about how she needs to reconcile Rose, the sister, and Rose, the wife, you know, because one part of her is grieving for her sister's death and the other part of her loves this man who she believes might be, you know, um, might in some way have caused her sister's death. So it's pretty complicated when that kind of a burden is placed on a person, you know, and they have to deal with the loss and also maybe the... uh, the loss that might happen as a result of of that death, which is, you know, the loss of her marriage. So, uh, yeah, the book does lead towards, uh, you know, that moment in their relationship where they either decide to stay together or, you know, uh, get a divorce and go their separate ways. And, you know, the way that it looks at a lot of complications when you have an interracial marriage like that and an interfaith marriage like that in the sense that, well, yeah, he he converted, but then there's a lot of stigma around around that and how she married a man who was not Egyptian and then and then left. And that was really interesting as someone, you know, who is not Muslim and from the West to see, you know, that culture played out in a story like this. And it was very informative and really added a lot to the story. Yeah. And I think it's, it's definitely the kind of, um, that kind of a stigma about, you know, marrying someone who was not born as a Muslim is something that exists in the Muslim community. And I, I was actually really impressed with the way that the author handled that and with with the conversation that it opens about faith and, you know, about the way that we practice faith is definitely one of the more interesting aspects of the novel, which will definitely make, uh, which will make people think a bit more about the way that they perceive their own faith and the faith of others and how, you know, that affects their relationships. Another thing that's really interesting about this book is the political backdrop and the way that uh, the Arab Spring and, you know, the politics in general has divided people, divided families. I feel like that's something we're seeing in America today and even in India, where families are kind of have reached a point where people are taking sides politically and that's causing rifts in their uh, rifts in their relationship. And I think it's a very interesting representation of that in this book. And it's really timely. And it's so well written. I would just sit in the car and listen to the audiobook in the way that she wrote it in her prose and the way that she handled those political topics. I haven't read a ton about the Arab Spring beyond the general you know knowledge of it. It was very clearly written, but also very beautiful and it's so ta- like she makes it look easy. She's that good. Yeah. And, you know, the, the politics uh, and the way that she writes it is also really balanced. Uh, so even as the author, you know, she d- never imposes her own political view on the reader and just lays it out, lays lays all of it out for the reader to see, like and to make up their own mind. And that's so important. Before I read this book, when I found out about it, when I got interested in it, one of the things that made me a little apprehensive about it was the fact that we are looking at two Muslim sisters who are very different. And I wasn't sure about how the author would treat that. Uh, You know, one sister who's really outwardly religious looking and the other one who does not wear her hijab and, you know, is quote unquote modern. 
So I was interested in seeing how that would unfold. And I thought she did an amazing job with the way that she wrote the sisters and how their individualities actually comes through. And in the end, you realize that they're both good people, you know, regardless of how they express their faith. So that was A Pure Heart by Rajya Haseeb. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is the Reading Women store, more specifically, our book blind dates. So we have an Etsy store and there we have book blind dates, both in paperback and hardback editions. And for the foreseeable future, we will be having these books at 15% off uh, as a stay at home sale. Uh, How this works is that you can request a book recommendation and then I will pick a book for you and send that to your house. So how we usually do it is you give us three books that you have enjoyed and your Goodreads link. You can also give me any content warnings or anything that you would prefer not to be in the book. You could request a book for the Reading Women Challenge or for a different reading project that you're working on. Whatever it is, uh, I am here for you. So if you want to go check that out, I will include a link in the show notes and you can get 15% off both our paperback and hardback book blind dates. And I hope all of you are staying home, staying safe, or if you are caregiving for others or so part of the workforce, um, I hope that you all are doing well. So again, you can check that out on Etsy uh, linked in our show notes um, where you can search Reading Women on Etsy, whatever you prefer. We are here for you. Um, but yeah. All right. Now back to the episode. Kendra, what's your second pick? So my second pick, uh, my discussion pick, is Love from A to Z by S.K. Ali. And this is out from one of my favorite imprints from middle grade and YA literature, Salam Breeds. I actually went on Book Outlet and got every single one that I could find. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are incredible. Their their list is wow. Yes. Yes. I have so many of their books in my wish list and in my cart that I'm going to buy in my next haul. So exciting. <laughs> so tell me about Love from A to Z. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoyed this book um, because I really wanted a book that featured teenagers that were not dating in a traditional Western idea of dating. So in the West, especially in a non-religious circumstance, we often see teenagers just dating to date, to have a good time. You know, you'll probably not marry this person if you date them in high school. That's not really the goal. You know, the whole thing. We've all seen the 80s, like, teenage movies. Like, we we get the <laughs> idea. Um, but this book is about two individuals, and this is a romance novel, but they are two teenage Muslim characters, and they uh, would only date if they planned on marrying that person, that you take your relationships with someone else very seriously. And so that's kind of the idea behind this book. And so we have Zainab, who is an American... Uh, Muslim girl from a like a multiracial background, uh, but she is a senior in high school, and she has this teacher who is very Islamophobic and, and hostile. She ends up like standing up to him in class and getting suspended from school. And her parents are like, "Look, you just need to last your senior year. Let go visit your aunt while you're suspended, and on 
spring break and then come back and just finish the semester. So she goes to Qatar and on their way, she meets a young man named Adam. So Adam is a biracial uh, teenage guy whose dad is the son of Chinese immigrants and his mom is uh, white and Canadian. And so uh, his dad teaches, though, at this international school in Qatar. So these two young people meet on the plane and it's basically love at first sight because, um, you know. But it's not insta-love. <laughs> yes, it's not insta-love. I would say instant infatuation. Like they see each other and it's like, you know, you see a cute person on the plane that you're on. And then circumstances come around and they realize that Zainab's aunt was good friends with Adam's mom. One of the things I really loved about this book is that Adam is going home because he's leaving university because he's recently been diagnosed with MS, which is what his mom died of. And he doesn't really have the heart to tell his dad that his son has the same disease that took his mom. And so you have also, while Zainab is like dealing with this teacher, Adam's storyline deals with, you know, his journey of being recently diagnosed with MS Um, and seeing a chronic illness portrayed in this way, especially for a young man to have a chronic illness like this is pretty rare um, in books. And yeah, it would just all came together in such a beautiful way. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed reading this book, uh, especially because it was set in the Middle East. So it's set in Doha, Qatar, and um, it reminded me of home. And that's, you know, like just the general setup and just the just the feel of the city that she evokes through her writing. I think it was brilliant uh, because she does mention quite a few places that they visit in in Doha. Yeah, I've I've never been there, but I feel like she painted such a beautiful picture of the different you know museums that are there, and there's even like this you know dog rescue they visit and a lot of different things like that. Yeah. They go to the beach and I feel like if if you're someone who loves to travel and like likes to visit places through fiction, then this is definitely a book to add to your list. Um, and another reason that I actually really uh, was happy with this book is the kind of Muslim representation that we get in this book, because I feel like um, a lot of times as someone who's Muslim and, you know, obviously a lot of the YA that I read or I used to read uh, would focus on insta-love and just, you know, just these random relationships that people end up in. And it didn't appeal to me because I feel like there is kind of this sense of maturity in uh, young Muslims and especially in my community that I've seen in people. And that's usually not reflected in the books that I was reading. Uh, when I read a YA that has Muslim characters and I see that maturity reflected in them, it's, you know, it's it's like being seen in a way. And this is finally one of those YA books that I can say that I enjoyed and, you know, just, just truly found that it was really enri- enriching as an experience and just a beautiful story that celebrates, uh, you know, young love and also individuals who are uh, going through difficult circumstances. 
And I really appreciate like the maturity that you were talking about because, you know, they would go into a relationship, but they're always chaperoned and they would never physically touch before they were married. And I feel like a lot of people think that that is beyond teenagers, that they're not able to control themselves. There's this idea uh, that's often you know portrayed in YA novels that teenagers just aren't responsible like that, but they are very serious in their approach to their relationship. They include their families. They evaluate their relationship like, would this work in a marriage? And they take it very seriously. And I think that's something that we need to see more of in YA books, especially for, you know, religious teenagers who want to be see their choices in a book, you know. Yeah, and I think this is something that this kind of maturity is definitely something you see more of in teenagers who are like in their later teens who are, you know, in high school, who are seniors in high school and who know what their next step in life is, you know, especially in terms of education. And they kind of have this idea of what they want in life that's developing. And at the same time, if a person comes along who fits along with that idea, you know, then why not? Like if, if you feel like this person would be uh, compatible for you in marriage, then I feel like a lot of young Muslims today are opting for this approach where they're quite young. They're, they go to, they go to college together as well. And I personally know of people who've done that, who met someone that, you know, they really liked and and the families liked each other. And uh, they decided, okay, let's study together and get married while we're doing it. So obviously we have so much that we want to discuss about this book because, you know, we talked about it for I don't know how long when we (laughs) first read it. So uh, this is uh, our second discussion pick. And so our next episode, we'll be talking all about this book and all of our feelings around it (laughs) and how much we loved it and its various um, levels of great representation. So um, so that is is Love from A to Z by SKLE, and that's out here in the U.S. from Salam Reads. And our guest this month is our contributor, Joss. Uh, she is the booktuber at Squibbles Reads, and she's also a co-blogger at The Quiet Pond. And of course, all of her information will be linked in our show notes. But when I thought of someone who would have a lot of great uh, marriage story kind of stories, I don't know what it says, but Joss came to mind. And so she is here to recommend two picks that she think would go great with this theme. Hi, my name is Joss. I am mainly on BookTube, but I have taken a brief hiatus at my channel called Squibbles Reads, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Squibbles Reads, and I'm a co-blogger at a blog called The Quiet Pond, which is thequietpond.com, and of course, I am here as a Reading Women contributor. Um, So I personally work in the mental health field, and my background is in social psychology, cognitive psychology, and one of my favorite things to do is just dissect kind of like the everyday life of people. And of course, in everyday life, people are naturally social human beings, as we have discovered from this coronavirus pandemic, um, in that teenagers in particular just kind of want to get out of the house and go hang out with their friends. And a lot of times we find that when we are in periods of isolation, we really just want to connect with other people. And a way that people are doing that right now is through their phones. And I think human beings just have a natural tendency to want to connect with other people in some way. And so for me personally, I am super interested in kind of marriages, relationships, families, everything like that. That's all very interesting to me. 
My first pick today is called The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams. So our main characters, uh, the man's name is Gavin Scott. He is a professional baseball player for the Nashville Legends. And he and his wife, Thea, are having some troubles in their marriage. One night they get into a big fight and he finds out that she has always faked her orgasms. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then Thea asks for a divorce. Gavin stays the night in a hotel and that is kind of where the story opens. So eventually he ends up opening up to some of his friends who are kind of these like highfalutin men in Nashville society in stereotypically masculine jobs. So like athletes, sports related jobs, stuff like that. And they have formed this secret romance book club and they read romance novels in order to learn what women need. And basically they fix their relationships to improve communication and restore their marriages. And ultimately these guys all come together and be vulnerable with one another and help Gavin rebuild his trust and his marriage with Thea. So this book is like extremely genius. Uh, First and foremost, it completely destroys any stereotypes of the romance novel genre. So a lot of times people dismiss romance as like chiclet or things that ditzy women read, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, And these stereotypes come from a place because women enjoy it, you know, the same as occupations that are woman dominant or caretaking professions, which are undermined because like the social underpinning is the belief that like feminine things are inferior, which is very unfortunate and very patriarchal, but alas, here we are. (laughs) Um, But in actual fact, there is a ton of strength to be had in kind of like the direct mirror the direct mirroring of real life in romance novels in like the soft and vulnerable way. So all of these men have to embody this willingness to be emotional, which is difficult a lot of the times, um, especially kind of in this community, because the wives are defined as like baseball players' wives, you know, like in relation to their husband's profession. So there are these toxic masculine messages that are embedded and learned kind of in this community. So when they start this book club, all these men kind of uncover that they weren't sharing their feelings with each other in their personal lives because they had all this ego and reputation in the community. Um, And they started this book club because they all at one point had issues in their marriage. Um, And I just want to give you guys a quote uh, from the book. Romance novels are primarily written by women for women, and they're entirely about how they want to be treated and what they want out of life and in a relationship. We read them to become more comfortable expressing ourselves and to look at things from their perspective. Yeah, so basically... The first book that these guys read in their book club is a Regency romance novel. And I'm going to read you guys another quote. And at the end of this quote, there are cuss words, which I love. But unfortunately, I will edit them for this podcast. Um, So the quote is, Modern romance novelists use the patriarchal society of old British aristocracy to explore the gender-based limitations placed on women today in both the professional and personal spheres. That stuff is feminist AF. So it really just kind of like breaks down romance novels and totally like blasts these stereotypes in into the universe, which I absolutely love. One last thing that I really enjoyed about this is that um, you can kind of see how the marriage and relationship models trickle down generationally. So Thea's father, he was a serial cheater. And every time her mother relented and let him back in, 
Thea kind of created this natural defense mechanism and her modeled response is kind of to do the opposite of what her mother did, which is to put up walls and kind of like withhold forgiveness, just kind of in arguments and especially kind of in this big break in her relationship with Gavin. This book is really special because it is the first book that I've read that takes romance novels in particular in this kind of meta way, you know, talking about books in a book. Extremely meta, but we love that stuff in the book community. So, but this is the first one that does that with romance novels. And in particular, it dismantles how romance novels can really help in kind of like a fictional way, not directly in a self-help book kind of way, but it can really help marriage dynamics and communication. And we see that directly reflected in Gavin's use of the book in his own marriage. So it's really like a reflection of sometimes I use things, you know, that I've learned in fiction books to kind of help myself in life for like as inspiration or how I directly relate to a character. So it's really, it's cute in a, in a meta kind of way. Well, I would definitely recommend this book to any adult readers of any gender. (laughs) This is an adult romance novel, so readers who would like romance novels would definitely appreciate this in like a praise, bless, yes, finally kind of way. Um, But readers who don't like romance novels would appreciate this in an eye-opening way. And I think especially kind of during these times, like during this pandemic, some of us, our relationship dynamics have really shifted. So for example, whether that's being stuck in the house with our partner or spouse 24-7, or whether ourselves or a partner or spouse is kind of in a riskier situation at the hospital, working the front lines, you know, and we may need to isolate. Something that I saw on Instagram lately is that we're all being forced to revert back to basics now, whether it's just the basics of communication and connection with immediate family, um, just boiling down the basics kind of in a complex way. Um, And I would also recommend this book to people who want to dismantle the patriarchy. So this book, again, is called The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams. My second pick today is Permanent Record by Mary H. K. Choi. This is a YA contemporary novel. Our main character is named Pablo Neruda Rind, and he is a half-Korean, half-Pakistani teenage boy. He lives in New York City, and he works at a bodega that is run by a Korean couple. One day, by chance, at four in the morning, he meets a huge celebrity teen pop star. Um, Pseudonym is Leanna Smart. Her real name is Carolina Suarez, and he calls her Lee. They end up starting a huge whirlwind relationship that has Pablo traveling all over the globe with Lee while kind of dealing with stuff at home. And this book is really kind of comparable to a slice of life anime or manga series because you really feel like you've been dropped into their lives like by parachute Um, because you see all of these pre-existing conflicts and these lingering remaining effects from things like generational relationships and challenges from the past. This is really interesting because I know this uh, this episode is called Marriage Stories, and I picked a YA contemporary novel, and you're probably thinking, like, WTF, what is she doing? <laughs> um, but really, it's really, really kind of a complex book, and this is what I love about it. So there are two kind of different relationships that we can see in the book. So the first one is between Pablo and Lee, and the second one is between Pablo's mom and dad. So starting with the first one in Pablo and Lee's relationship, the, they have a ton of similarities. Um, they're both biracial. They both love social media and all the things like that. The main difference is their socioeconomic status and wealth, and that puts a big strain on their relationship. 
So first, Pablo, he is in debt. He's behind on a lot of his bills. They're sending him to the collections agency, etc. This is in stark contrast to Lee, who is obviously one of the most well-known pop stars. She flies on private jets. She has a black Amex card. She's emancipated from her parents at a young age, and she's managed most of her money by herself with the help of a manager. So over the course of the book, you see her financial privilege because being wealthy, you know, she doesn't have to blink before handing over her credit card for a meal or other basic needs, where a lot of Pablo's decisions, even meeting his basic needs, let alone like purchasing a lavish outfit, you know, a lot of them revolve around money. But Pablo is, he's kind of independent in another way. So he has had to, you know, work at this bodega to just earn kind of like a little bit above minimum wage to pay for everything in his life. And he's also had to deal with the effects of the dynamics of his parents' marriage. So now we're kind of moving on to their relationship. So like I was saying, his mom is Korean and his dad is Pakistani and he's from Jersey and they are actually separated, which I think is something that you don't often see in YA books. You're seeing it more now, but definitely not in like older YA books. But his mom is a doctor and she is wealthier and she has traditional Korean values, including high expectations academically, where his dad has been kind of like absent, never really there for him, never held a consistent job, despite his pride having graduated from Princeton. So Pablo has some anger and resentment built up towards dad. Um, Like I was saying, his parents are separated and you feel kind of like this emotional separation too. And therefore Pablo has developed his own like mental, emotional coping mechanisms, which is definitely an after effect of their marriage dynamics. Um, And I guess finally, in both relationships, you can see the role of shame and guilt that in the choices that all of these people make. Um, So for example, we're Leanna wants to spend money on something, Pablo really can't. And you see kind of all these instinctual shame reactions coming up for him. And I kind of really felt for him in those moments. Um, And both of his parents carry shame around how they handled the separation and their parenting, which is totally a real thing, trying to balance like their adult marriage with parenting. And they both feel shameful because they haven't done a great job at it. And I guess in conclusion, kind of all these things, finance, race, job security, parenting styles, these are all things that play such a huge role in marriage dynamics. And this is where these kind of slice of life books excel, is taking all these things into account with with one like snippet in time in someone's life. I would recommend this book to anyone who likes young adult contemporary novels. Um, definitely anyone who enjoys like slice of life manga and anime. Um, and other people who like kind of like real life books where you feel like you're being transported somewhere or you feel like you have to suspend your disbelief, particularly with Liana's like celebrity status. Um, and this book is also set in New York City, like the very heart of New York City. Um, and I get that kind of feel from it. So if you like books set in New York too. So again, that is Permanent Record by Mary H.K. Choi. Thank you so much, Jaws, for the books that you've recommended to us today in this episode. So those are our six picks for this month's theme of marriage stories. Uh, There are a lot of great relationships to read about. So we definitely hope that you pick some of these up, if all of them, because... They're all amazing books, and you should listen to us when we see that. (laughs) Uh, so now it's time for a currently reading. So Samaya, what are you reading right now? 
So I'm actually reading a couple of books. The first of them is Hood Feminism by Miki Kendall. And this is an incredible book if you're looking for something that's about intersectional feminism that looks at narratives aside from the mainstream uh, white feminist approach that we see a lot of. Um, and the second book that I'm reading is a fiction. It's called Gin Patrol on the Purple Line by Deepa Anapara. I've actually only read a couple of pages of this, so I'm still like not entirely sure what it's about, but it's set in India and it looks at the case of children who go missing. Do you know, Kendra, there are like 180 kids who go missing in India every day? Wow. Yeah, and this book is kind of like, uh, you know, has that as the backdrop. So I'm really interested to see how that, you know, unfolds. It was long listed for the Women's Prize as well. Yeah, it was. It was. And it's, yeah, it's really intriguing. So what are you reading? I just received an email that my copy of the audiobook for The City We Became by N.K. Jemison just came in as we have been talking. Wow. I am going to definitely be listening to that tonight. Uh, it's not quite out yet in print, but I am so excited for this book because the last novel that she put out was the last book in the Broken Earth trilogy. Um, and this one is about New York City and how the different boroughs are represented almost like by a god figure, like American gods almost, just N.K. Jemison and New York City. So... <laughs> And that sounds incredible. And I actually haven't read her books yet, but they're they're at the top of my list, especially for fantasy. But all right, so those are the books that we are currently reading. Where can people find you about the internet, Samaya? Okay, so uh, you can actually find me on at samaya.books on Instagram, where I review books and post updates about my life with my cat. Cat. <laughs> That it's actually a fan page, you know, it's, it's a fan page for my cat. Yeah. <laughs> Just as she deserves. Yes. And you all can find me at K D Winchester. That's K as in kite, D as in Dylan Winchester uh, on Twitter and Instagram, where I post photos of books and links to articles I write about audiobooks and all sorts of fun things. All right, so that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. And of course, many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Be sure to join us next time where we'll be discussing A Pure Heart by Rajya Haseeb and Love from A to Z by SK Ali. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.